When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, I have an update on my review of T-Mobile's home internet service. Later, you know I love having solar at my home, but there's an element that's crept into the industry that I gotta warn you about. Now, we're gonna do something very unusual today. We are actually going to start with a micro Clark Stinks. Micro meaning this is not a Clark Stinks podcast, but we got to kick this off with one. Well, ironically, it's about your microphone. Um, We had a lot of people commenting on this and reviewing on this. So this one uh, is from Steve. Clark, we both share a love for Dollar Tree. That said, perhaps you shouldn't buy your audio equipment from the Dollar Tree. You run a professional podcast and your audio is terrible. I don't understand why that is because Krista's audio is perfect. For a good example of the difference, listen to last week's Clark Stinks. So Steve and all the others who let us know about our audio quality last week, I am on remote with the podcast right now. And so I'm dependent on my home internet connection. Well, as I told you about six weeks ago, I was very excited that T-Mobile home internet became available where I live. So I love that because T-Mobile and Verizon using 5G wireless to provide home internet that's pretty robust uh, gives competition for the first time to the cable monster that has had a chokehold on Americans' internet connections. So I get the T-Mobile working fine for TV, working fine for web surfing, all that. Well, it turned out the T-Mobile home internet was not robust enough to give a dependable connection for the podcast. And that is why we had the problems. Now, the first problem we had with podcasting was that I bought a $40 mic. (laughs) Krista corrected that by Uh, sending me a, this was $400? No, it was like half that. $200. See, it was a bargain. Yeah, I love the way you said that. (laughs) But anyway, this mic is a really great mic. So the problem was not the microphone. It was the internet connection. So I did technical support with T-Mobile, and it turned out that I didn't have enough bars to get a reliable internet connection. Not bars you go drink at, but, you know, bars (laughs) on the wireless device. And so I sent it back to them in Fort Worth, Texas, and awaiting my credit for returning the gizmo, and I'm back to the cable monster. I mean... I have a recording of the moment when we're racking our brains trying to figure out what's going on because you have this great mesh system. And when you told me you're using that 
wireless connection for this. I was like, what? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Maybe we so should was, like put was, it as a pos- podcast extra. I was talking <laughs> with a, a radio program director, radio station program director about how mad you got at me about the T-Mobile thing. I wasn't mad at you. Yeah, you, well, you were frustrated with me, to say the least. frustrated that you were trying to save all, and you were like, what, but I only pay this for it. I'm going to have to pay $25 more a month. And I was just like, this is your podcast. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, he said that uh, when radio stations have to do remote over wireless, that they use a device where they have three three wireless internet cards Mm. in this mixer so that whichever is giving the strongest signal at that moment, it automatically switches to that one. And I'm like, I'm not spending all that money. Oh, my gosh. So I went with your solution and went back to the cable monster. The good news, they had a much better deal for me coming back than I was (laughs) getting when I was with them. So I have that for 12 months. I have gigabit service for $70 a month, including all junk fees, for one year. By the way, I just have to share, too, that the $40 mic you had literally had a rubber band, like, holding it together. I mean, it was ridiculous. So, uh, but you're you're the man saving money, but maybe just not on this. Okay, so should we get to some questions? (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, I know that, I just threw T-Mobile's home internet service under the bus. And there are situations where it works perfectly if you have a good signal. I just didn't have a good enough signal where I am. Same thing will be true with Verizon. And this is the real deal uh, with the cellular home internet that's going to be all over the country in the next year. And then the satellite-based internet that's going to do a phenomenal job serving rural America, uh, this is this is a great thing. But one thing they found out with the Starlink is, you know, there's been this massive heat wave in the West, and it gets hot enough, it fries your Internet connection on your satellite receiving dish. Oh, my gosh. I think oh. it has to be 112 or higher. And a lot of the Western states have had temperatures above 112 my wife is in Pasadena right now visiting our middle child, and it is, I mean, she thinks she could fry an egg on the sidewalk today. Mm. Man. So let's go to questions. Let's give okay. people hot advice. Well, speaking of California, Lisa is in California, and she says, when you sell your rental properties, do you typically do a like-kind Section 1031 exchange, or do you just pay the taxes on the sale? Lisa, I know people love 1031 exchanges. I don't like them at all. The complexity of having to have the designated beneficiary that you've identified or or intermediary you've identified, having to identify a new property within uh, 45 days, close on the new property within, I think it's 180 days, blah, 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 blah. And all you're doing is deferring the tax. My thing, tax rates are so favorable right now on capital gains that I never, I've sold six properties over the last five years, and I have done zero 1031 exchanges. I have just happily paid my capital gains tax because it is so favorable right now. So I know there are real estate investors 
who think I'm out of my mind. Why wouldn't you defer, 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 defer? But with an aging population and the ridiculous budget deficits that we've been running, the national debt we have, the uh, need for more money for Medicare, and to a lesser extent Social Security, I don't see how we meet all those obligations with an aging population without tax rates eventually rising. So I would rather pay the tax and know it's paid than defer it under a 1031. And this is from Linda in New Hampshire. In this world of data breach after data breach, I want to look at the, into the password managers you've talked about. My question is, how are they safe? It seems like it would be a one-stop shopping target for thieves. I'm nervous about having one source for all my passwords. Can you explain a little bit more about how they work and if they are a good idea? So, Linda, you always have the possibility that there could be a hack. It happened to LastPass, which is one of the first of the password managers years ago that they did get hacked. But the password managers are able to do a much better job of protection than we are as consumers. And the reality is it is really a problem that we fall into being creatures of habit using same or similar password again and again and again. With the password managers, you set up an account with them, and you have a master password that is ridiculously complicated that you better not lose. And then they, for each site that you need a password set up for, they set up a unique, completely different password for it from every other of your sites. So even if a hacker were able somehow to hack into your account at one place, that's where it's going to stop. Now, yes, it is true if the password manager itself got hacked, then you have a whole different problem. Now, I want to tell you, I have a briefing on how these password managers work. There are free ones, there are paid ones, what's free, what's not. And if you're a Consumer Reports subscriber, they've done a really good job writing about password managers, which ones are best or not. And then a lot of tech sites, if you are not a Consumer Reports subscriber, have done so as well. So I do, Linda, believe in password managers. And I use the one from Google. And it's not as sophisticated as some of these others. I probably should take my own advice and go to one of the more sophisticated ones. And this is from James in Georgia. Hi, Clark. I know how I rate you get when somebody brings up the word annuity, but I'm thinking it might not be a horrible idea in my case. I have close to a million dollars in 401ks, but they are subject to downturns in the market. I was offered a guaranteed life annuity with a 6.3% payout that included a stop loss clause of 10%. I can't afford to take a loss in the market like 2008, as I'm currently 55 and interested in retiring soon. What's your suggestion? So, James, I don't know exactly what it is that you're being offered. It sounds like it's some form of index annuity, has the guarantee, then has the stop loss and all that. I, I don't know exactly what kind of life annuity, but a, a normal, what someone would call a, a life annuity, an immediate payout annuity, would be paying significantly less than 6.3% right now because of how low interest rates are. Uh, 
So I, I don't really know what it is you're considering, what it is you're looking at. And I would love it if you would go to a fee-only financial planner, somebody who if they did feel that your situation called for some form of annuitization, that it would be one that they were not receiving any commission from and you wouldn't have to worry at all. I will tell you that if you ask for a copy of the contract for the annuity that's being pitched to you, the contract will likely be somewhere around 150 to 200 pages long. And let me tell you, that 150 to 200 pages is not in your favor. The reality is that these uh, annuities tend to have extreme handcuffs to you, massive built-in expenses and fees. As for the guarantees, you're told, the guarantees only come your way if you do exactly what the contract says, which in many cases will mean you must keep it in force potentially for decades, please go see before you make any decision with a million bucks. The cheapest advice you can get is paying somebody upfront fees to give fee-only advice where they are not influenced or subject to commissions. I have information on Clark.com, James, about how to find a fee-only financial advisor, and there are several reasonable ways for you to do that. And Elsie in Georgia says, do you recommend buying expensive title insurance on a home you're paying cash for? I love that you said expensive title insurance. Yes, it is, and yes, I do. Um, I We bought a home recently and we had the privilege of being able to pay cash for it, and we paid the high premiums for an owner's title policy. Think about the risk to you when you pay cash for a home, and for whatever reason that the title is successfully challenged or has to be defended, and you don't have insurance. But imagine you lose in a title case. You've lost the entire home that you paid cash for. You're done because somebody else had a superior claim to you on that property. And so paying for the title insurance is key. I will tell you, depending on the state, the premium for an owner's title policy is either set by statute, meaning that it's price fixed, or it's negotiable. So you want to research to see, you live in Georgia, if in Georgia, the uh, title insurance premiums are fixed or negotiable, and you would have potentially the ability to shop around if they are negotiable in your state. I want to tell you something. I have always loved solar. Installed my first solar almost 15 years ago, and solar's gotten only much more favorable to your wallet since. But there are things happening, sleazy tactics showing up in the industry that you got to know that I'm going to talk about straight ahead. I love solar. I mean, solar is incredible in that your power bills, solar done right, can take your power bills down so low it's ridiculous. And now, with the advent of the battery backups for solar, 
they can act as a power supply in the event the, there's an electricity blackout in your area. It, it's unreal. You also don't have to worry about in states with uh, corrupt governments where the monopoly power companies get state legislatures or state regulators to punish people who put in solar. Now, with batteries, you can really pretty much divorce yourself or at least have a separation agreement from a monopoly power company and not be in a situation where they sell you power at full retail but take your excess at an extremely low wholesale. I mean, it's a stacked deck in corrupt states. But there's a different problem I want to talk about that is very frustrating. There are fly-by-nights in the solar business that use really aggressive sales tactics, sleazy salespeople. I read a story by a consumer writer extraordinaire, David Lazarus at the Los Angeles Times, about a woman who died. And the solar company was like, yeah, well, she signed a contract. It's, uh, that's just it. It's forever. She's not, but it is. And here's the thing. A lot of people that are cash short but love the idea of putting in solar are signing purchase agreements or lease agreements for solar that look great, but they're not. You're creating an obligation for your home instead of a benefit. As I've had the questions before from people whose home sales have fallen through because the buyer of their home did not want to assume the liability of a crummy contract for solar that they had signed. The solar can stick to you like glue. It's not as bad as a timeshare, but it can be ugly. So here's what I want you to know. When you are looking at putting solar on your home, stay away from any weirdo purchase agreement, lease agreement, anything like that. What you want to do instead is you want to consider buying solar that you buy the solar, straight out buy. Even if it means you got to go finance it with a bank or credit union. You want to own what goes on your home because then you have an asset when you decide to sell your home that you are selling to someone else instead of an obligation that they may not want. So be careful out there and know this. Getting solar is a confusing process. A lot of people get overwhelmed by it because there's a lot of terminology and there's enormous price differences from company to company. A lot of people may get three quotes and decide, well, I don't want to go with the cheap one and don't want to go with the most expensive one. I'll just go with the one in the middle. But that's not really how I want you to do this. You want to compare apples to apples or panels to panels in this case. And the same KW size system is what you want to get quotes from company to company to company so that you're looking straight out at price for that. Um, one thing that's been very controversial in the industry is Tesla. 
that in certain states sells solar. Tesla, everything they do, they're a disruptor, and they've been doing a modular system for installing solar. And in many jurisdictions, if they serve your area, Tesla does solar cheaper than their competitors. So it's always a good idea to check to see if they sell in your area. But know that with solar, when somebody starts saying, we'll put it in for no money at all, all you got to do is sign this contract. Run, run, run away, or kick that salesperson to the curb. Krista? Okay, Clark. Carrie in Florida says, I was accidentally injured by my horse three years ago. The medical bills were $2,600. I had no insurance at the time as I could not afford it. It has gone to collection for some time now, and now the collection agency is offering me a deal to settle. The balance due is $2,988, and they're offering $1,494. If I take their offer, how will this impact my credit? So, Carrie, I'm glad you recovered from the accidental injury from the horse, and uh, that's great. The bill to recover from it, medical is a little different than other debts you may have. And if they put in writing that they will settle for basically 50 cents on the dollar, then that's a great start. You could turn around and offer something lower, say, hey, I can come up with 1200 or whatever. Because here's the thing, that $2,600 bill, if you had had insurance at the time, you would have been paying a negotiated rate that the insurance company had with the provider, facility, hospital, doctor, whoever. And that rate would tend to be uh, 20 to 30% of retail most of the time. The crazy thing is with insurance, the $2,600 bill may have been $520 or $780. I mean, anything you pay in that range or a little above would take you back to what a real price would have been for those medical services. As far as impacting your credit, what's important with medical bills is that there's no outstanding balance. And so paying the bill, settling it, will be an advantage. The age of it is also an advantage to you where it's still impacting your credit, but once the balance is zero, fine. But they don't get one penny from you till you have in writing from them that payment of whatever number of dollars is represents payment in full against the debt. Okay, Clark, and this is from Chuck in Mississippi. He says, I opened a Roth IRA with T. Rowe Price in a target date retirement fund about 15 years ago. I think they were one of your recommendations at the time. Either way, I never hear you mention them. Should I consider switching to one of the other three you mentioned, or do you approve of TRP? T. Rowe Price is a fantastic company, and they lost their status as one of my favorite children in spite of being a great company, a wonderful manager of money, because over the years, the management costs for uh, investments, mutual funds, the rest, have gone down, down, down across industry, and not really so with T. Rowe Price. But the good news is T. Rowe Price is implementing new lower costs for their target retirement fund series this summer, coming around the 1st of July. So 
once you hit July, see what the expenses are. Because now a bunch of the target date funds with my favorite children list are now down to about a tenth of a percent per year in management expenses. T. Rowe Price historically has been about 0.7 of 1%. So roughly seven times more expensive in management fees, even though they are a great provider. So see if the new rates available from T. Rowe Price are low enough that you hang in there with them or you do skedaddle with your Roth to another one of the lower cost providers. And this is from Mary Ann in South Carolina. Um, Mary Ann says, I was wondering if you had any advice about getting into the voiceover industry. I recently took a $25 webinar that turned into a sales pitch for a $5,000 training package. How do I figure out what's a realistic expense to get started versus a scam? Marianne, this is, uh, is we say, bad ugly. Uh, the idea that you go to a supposed seminar, webinar, whatever, that costs little or nothing, and it's really just a marketing presentation, a sales presentation, to get you to sign up for very expensive classes or training. I mean, you must have felt completely bamboozled when it went from 25 bucks to the hard sell for a $5,000 training package. So let me tell you the truth. The voiceover industry became something that was a hot work at home about, oh, three to four years ago. And we were getting tons of questions about it. And the truth is that there's not the wealth or the amount of work available that's being pitched online. And so don't believe that this is going to be a good side gig or career opportunity for you, even if you were to go take a very inexpensive class on it, which you could do at Udemy, potentially, if you're familiar with the letter U-D-E-M-Y. Um, if you were to take a very inexpensive course for voiceover, at least you wouldn't put a lot of money at risk. But the realistic thing is the income earning power is not very high right now in the business. There are a small number of people who make a lot of money in voiceovers, but for the most part, even people who've done it professionally for a long time have seen their incomes trend down over the last decade. Uh, sorry to end on that soured note, but I want to thank you for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving advice you can trust.